Hello, everybody, and welcome to the 150th episode of MTG Fast Finance, the podcast that's looking forward to a year of beating the market with tiny, tiny pieces of cardboard. MTG Fast Finance is your weekly podcast covering the world of Magic the Gathering, finance, collection management, and speculation. I'm your host, James Hillcott, aka at MTG Critic on Twitter, and my co-host, as always, is Travis Allen, aka at Wizard Bumpin', and we're here to help you folks make and save money playing our favorite game, Magic the Gathering. Good evening, James. Glad to be here. How are uh, how are you doing on this balmy winter's eve? Uh, doing j- just fine across the lake over here in frigid uh, Toronto, Ontario, Canada. Is it raining up there tonight? Uh, I have no idea. I've been locked in my ivory tower all afternoon. Oh, they don't have wind- uh, floor-to-ceiling windows in that penthouse? Uh, it's not not a penthouse. And no, the windows are not floor-to-ceiling because this building was built in the like late 60s. Um, but they do open, which is pretty exciting when you're 40 stories up because most of the new buildings don't oh. do that. Um, and there's been there's a ridiculous wind tunnel because there's a twin building right beside us. And we're on like a 200 foot bluff. So we're basically 600 feet in the air. And boy, that frigid north wind just whips on through. I bet. Well, you know, the good news is if you ever have a spec go really south, you have an out. Yeah. I can just basically throw it out the window and it'll blow right to your house. The, the cards are yourself. <laughs> if I if I get one of those little wingsuits on, I could probably get there. Uh, you know, I realistically, I mean, it's like a probably like ninety miles bird's eye because you kind of have to drive around the tip of the lake to get there. <laughs> so, yeah. uh, it might even be like sixty or seventy bird's eye miles. I don't even think it's that much. I think it's like twenty twenty miles tops. Well, to the across to to land, probably. Yeah, yeah to land. Yeah. Hmm. I'm Maybe sure I can day. see your house at my window. I'm just not sure which one it is. <laughs> it's the one covered in snow. All right. Uh, our show is sponsored by mtgprice.com, the leading MTG finance community. Sign up today, mtgprice.com, to manage your collection, track your specs, chat on Discord, uh, where I'm contractually obligated to make three smart-ass remarks each week, and read articles by some of the best financial minds in the hobby. Yeah, Discord's taken off. So if you're listening to this and you're a pro trader or would like to be, um, holler at a, one of us on Twitter and we'll get you sorted out. Um, what's on the agenda this week, brother? This week, we have a show in four segments. Segment one is our top movers. We'll talk about the cards that have seen the largest price increase in the last week. Segment two is our cards to watch. James and I will run through a couple of cards we think have a bright future. Segment three, our metagame week in review. This week, we have a MTGO Modern Finals from a little over a week ago now. And finally, segment four, our topic of the week, the Ravnica Allegiance spoilers. We've gotten a good chunk of them out, including a bunch of the Mythics. So we're going to take a couple minutes to spin through those a little later. Although you'll definitely hear us talk about it in segment one here because a couple of these cards this week are because of the spoilers. So let's get started. We have... Well, hold, hold, hold on. Aren't we adding a fifth segment where we're going to talk about beers we purchased and make fun of Corbin or something so that we can close the gap on BSB? If you think that I don't have overall that, both of ratings? those bullets in the chamber every single day, <laughs> I, I unironically could do both of those no problem <laughs> without hesitation. Just had some uh, Rogue Rolling Thunder. It was a limited release last year. Comes in a two-pint bottle. I was very impressed. Yeah, it's good. It's good to have goals. We'll, we'll keep awesome. working on the the completely non-finance related banter for 
30 minute segment and uh, see if we can't get pull something together. You know, Jason and I chatted briefly about trying to do a beer segment on BSB, but the recording times just wouldn't work. Mm-hmm. Huh. It, at some point, I needed to circle back with Jason about completing our uh, Christopher Walken set reviews that we were working on. I, I think I'm going to release some of that audio to the Discord channel shortly, um, which I have a feeling will be to everyone's great amusement. That sounds just awful. Honestly, it gave me a much greater respect for his comedic talent. Like sections of it were drop dead hilarious. Oh, well, that's uh, <laughs> if you can do a good walk and that's impressive. And, and who doesn't and he, his walk is really solid. And who doesn't want to hear a set review from two years ago? <laughs> right. I would imagine that's the hard part is getting those out on time. That that did turn out to be the hard part. Um, it's not that hard to make fun of of wizards design choices and in, in set after set to be honest um between the art the theming uh and several other variables that you can pull into play uh i think we've got some comedy gold there but it might take us a little while to shift it from the back burner to the top of the priority list yeah you should just quit all of your jobs yep and do themed magic set reviews instead could be a youtube winner rolling those patreon nickels all right tell me about the first card on the list this week uh first card on our list this week is to pharaoh to pharaoh to pharaoh to pharaoh to fairy hero of dominaria to pharaoh sounds like uh the sequel to quinoa it's actually it's actually to like cousin unemployed cousin who just hangs out and plays xbox all day and then calls to fairy and borrows money either way the Masters Edition cards uh, started 170 this week, up to about just under 200 or so. Um, it's not a huge jump, only about 15, 16%, but it was $130 about eight weeks ago, seven weeks ago. Set EV of Masters Edition across the board is rising. Um, if we keep seeing this type of action, Teferi could easily hit, you know, we could see him at 250. You know, there is that sort of soft ceiling that we've talked about before. Um, 200 represents a. a, a kind of a threshold for a lot of cards. Uh, 250 and 300 are kind of the next big barriers. You don't see a lot of cards climb over those numbers. Um, but definitely uh, definitely some interest here. So at 200, I don't... I mean, I, I, I'm. it's funny for me to say what I would or wouldn't do if I had any because I've got a couple still sealed up. Um, I guess I'm not digging them out to sell them right now. But if I had it singleton... I probably still wouldn't sell, but I'd start watching closely. Um, the, the 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 tension here is going to be as supply dries up um, for you know for the master's edition cards, the prices will rise will rise, but Teferi is looking at an exit in the fall of this year. So we're still you know ten months away, uh, but you know standard singles do start to suffer. Come uh, nowadays, it's like March and April. Yeah. where you start to see some of the wind come out of those sales. Now, for a format staple like Teferi, who's going to probably be very powerful right to the finish line, he won't be quite as bound because people still have to have copies to play with through the summer. Um, but uh, the question is going to be, will the Masters Editions hold up once people don't need the card for standard anymore? I'm of the impression that he'll still do pretty well because you're going to have a lot of demand for people in cubes uh, from EDH decks, from modern players. 
Uh, and I don't know how many standard players are spending 200 bucks a piece on Teferi's for the Masters Editions. I would imagine there's not a lot of overlap there. But in any case, at the very least, it's not going to help when he rotates out of standard. Yeah, it is a little tricky for all the reasons you just listed. The short-term prognosis is that I, I think that the standard players, uh, there's probably a surprising number of standard players at in FNMs in demographics that support such things that did in fact acquire these Teferis, either because they picked up a Mythic Edition or they, they figured, well, you know, I don't need to worry about this rotating out of standard because I can still play it in Modern, I can still play put it in my cube, I can play it in Commander. Um, so, you know, it's a little different than some of the mythic foils that are definitely standard only where you don't want to get caught holding the bag when the bottom drops out on them. I'm a, I think I'm tempted. I do have some copies from when we called this eight weeks ago at one thirty. Um, I think I'm tempted to start attempting to sell them and see what I can get for them. And then because I've got my sealed mythic edition sitting around as well, I think I've got five left of those unclaimed at this point. Um, you know, I'll I'll be able to reevaluate in a month or two. Mm, yeah, I I think I would try to get out of at least half of my Teferis by say March or April, and then reevaluate and see what happens with Mythic Edition. The thing about the premium products is, with how frequently they're coming out now, I don't think you want to be holding them super super long out into their eventual like six, seven, $800 horizon where some of them might get to. Um, what we've seen for years with the San Diego Comic-Con sets, for instance, is that they're really hot for a minute and then, you know, give it enough time and something else comes on the radar and then the next year set comes on the radar and it gets harder and harder to unload just because the hype cycle isn't advertising that product. It's not being talked about as much. And so less people are thinking about it or prioritizing it. You know, if, if people are buying up cases of Ultimate Masters, they're they're less likely to be buying Mythic Edition. And and indeed, that is what we saw. When Mythic Edition... I sold most of my Mythic Editions in mid-late October, early November, before I'd even taken possession of any of them. And once Ultimate Masters came on the radar and was in the three weeks leading up to that release, I sold no Mythic Edition product at all. Likely because a lot of that you know, the deeper pockets had thrown a lot of money at Ultimate Masters and kind of put Mythic Edition on the back burner. Um, if a Mythic Edition number two shows up, it sucks up a bunch of money, but also might make people want to complete the set of the the Borderless Planeswalkers. So net net, I, I think you want to hedge your bets and, and do a little of this and a okay. little of that. Am I crazy? Was this in one of the episodes we didn't, we started to record and then had the bail. <clears throat> but I swear on one of our past episodes, I said that, the volume of premium products being released now is high enough that it gave me pause with each additional one. Like they look, the first ones looked amazing and it feels like they're getting softer and softer because there's so many, there's so many more for people's attention. A lot of people have at least considered that angle. Um, but I would argue that we just saw San Diego Comic-Con 2018, Mythic Edition, and Ultimate Masters sell out within a six-month period. And that leads me to believe that the market is more robust and has deeper pockets than a lot of people give it credit for. I think when you're like a 22-year-old student and you can barely afford your modern deck, you have trouble like connecting to the fact that there are other neighborhoods and other cities where the people that come out to FNM are like 30 to 40 years old, engineers, computer scientists, security consultants, 
whatever mixed in with a bunch of teens and 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 uh, college students that don't necessarily have big deeper pockets. And I guess what I'm saying is, magic. The people at Watsi recognize <laughs> that those deeper pockets are out there. That there are people in prime earning years that are that are enga- deeply engaged with the brand. And the fact that those products keep selling out suggests to me that on about that schedule, every few months they could put out something like this and probably get away with it. Okay. I so I'm not disagreeing with that. I remember we had. I'm remembering we did have this conversation. So it sounds like our strategy then should be to try and snag this stuff early during the quote unquote MSRP, you know, before the, the, the low price essentially. And then as soon as it rises within, you know, one to one, one to four or five weeks, sell that local peak and then be done because we know there's going to be another one, three months down the road. And even if we know that we can hold this stuff for six months, nine months, a year, two years, five years, and see growth, it's probably not going to be strong enough because there's so many more in the pipeline after it. So, well, and there's so many other opportunities with they, where you can keep rolling that money over. Like I've I've been struggling to sort out the thirty or forty specs being discussed in the Discord this week and trying to put priority labels on them. Um, the and I'll put it to you this way: Mythic Edition, like I said, I sold early on at 600 borrowed copies from other people, and then the price fell down into the 400 range. Now it's back up to about 500, but it'll be a little while before it gets back up to the six I was already selling at. So I probably should have just discounted to 575 or whatever when I was selling at six, undercut a few people, sold a few more copies, and would have been that much better off rolling it right into the next thing. Um, you know, I don't. I think you're right. I don't think holding this stuff for the mid to long term is the play, you might get an opportunity to get back in on some of it later as the heat comes off it, at least in in the sealed from the sealed perspective, or, you know, snag the lowest price sealed copy on a really good coupon mm-hmm. on eBay or something. But some of the singles, like say, for instance, Liliana and Teferi from Mythic Edition probably aren't going to reverse course um, because there's just su- such little inventory. Like the reason Teferi is up near 200 now is because they just keep getting sold. And that's going to lead to buy lists getting very generous because those guys, you know, any vendor who isn't on the GP circuit for Channel Fireball didn't have access to any more Mythic Editions than any of the rest of us. Um, unless they had, you know, they were successful in using multiple online accounts to purchase from Hasbro Toy Shop, which, as we all know, was kind of nebulous. So, you know, I've noticed already that the several buy lists are already pretty generous on these cards, and I suspect they will get more so over time. Okay. I in. I, I've been on this strategy of holding them for longer rather than shorter just because there's a lot of overhead involved with trying to flip them constantly. <clears throat> uh, and I prefer stuff that's a little longer term. It uh, doesn't require quite as much work. Um, but now I'm kind of looking at this and going, okay, well, maybe maybe that needs to be the our, my new tact at least. Um, well, and because, because you have a contact in Europe, you've also got the... The, the opportunity that to ship the whole thing over as a bundle and try to unload it via European message board and then ship it to some central point and, point and have it distributed. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I'll be honest. I'm a lot more concerned about sending that much money and resources across internationally than you have been in the past. Uh, but I mean, it is a valid out. I'm just nervous about putting all that in the mail. Yeah, I mean, you got to balance that against how sexy the like 600 euro price tag is over on MKM or whatever for this set. 
I mean, honestly, if I could sell it for 600 US or 600 MKM, that's a 20% profit margin while I'm picking up all the risk of sending it overseas versus essentially zero risk US. I don't think I would do that. Cool. I don't think it's All right. worth it. So moving right along, we've got uh, Alenda the Dusk Rose that arrives, rivals of Ixalan. Um, is that the foils that popped or the non-foils? No, they, I, I mean, they both the went foils. up. Oh, yeah. yeah so they, 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 they both went up. The foils went from about 12 to 24, almost 100% gain. The non-foils went from 7 to about 17. Let's call it, you're probably more likely to sell them at 14 or 15. This is on the back of interactions with the new Tessia uh, card in um, Orzov, where... Uh, because Orzov has an afterlife theme, which is basically creating spirits when creatures die, it looks like there's going to be some kind of aristocracy style, um, you know, sacking creatures for benefit and then getting 1-1 spirit tokens. Yes, she is very much a plant for the new, uh, whatchamacallit, uh, aristocrats deck that wizards has seeded into Ravnica allegiance. And I feel bad for not having noticed this earlier, um, but definitely a, that's what that's there for. Um, so kudos to you if you caught that and got in uh, because I'm sure you made money. Yeah. I, I mean, I think you want to, we don't know how these decks are going to play out. Nobody, the articles aren't quite, aren't quite out the door yet in terms of what the new standard is going to look like. You can start, you'll start to see them in the next week or so. Um, but the card in question is t- uh, uh, t- Tessa Karlov, two white black, two four legendary creature human advisor. If a creature ca- dying causes a triggered ability or a permanent you control to trigger, that ability triggers an additional time. So all of your afterlife triggers go off twice and you get twice as many tokens. Um, creature tokens you control have vigilance and lifelink. So you have a bunch of lifelinking, no tappy to attack. 1-1 one, one Flying Spirit Tokens, and you get twice as many of those. And then a Lend of the Dust Rose gets bigger and bigger every time a token dies, I believe. Um, and what's her other ability? When she dies, you draw cards. She, uh, When a creature dies, she gets the counter, and then when she dies, you create that many counters. So she she absorbs all the counters you lose and then puts them back on the battlefield after she dies. Um She's like a token battery, essentially. I don't, and you know, Tezia obviously works really well. The Lenda, honestly, I don't think that it's any one particular card. It's just that the entire Orzov and a little bit of the Rakdos guilds appear to be aristocrats. Uh, if you're, you know, I keep tossing that around, but I realize not all of our listeners have probably been pl- necessarily been playing that long. During the original, <laughs> during the second Ravnica block, there was a strategy called the aristocrat, Aristocats. Oh my God. Aristocrats. Cats was the movie. Aristocrats, which used Falconrath Aristocrat and Cartel Aristocrat as its key components. And it basically just made tons of tokens and sacrificed them for a little bit of a value engine and beat you in the face with a 4 1 indestructible flyer. Uh, it was Sam Black's brainchild. Uh, it was very popular. Uh, the initial builds had the Boros Reckoner and. Uh, not faithful suiting, uh, lingering souls, right? Well, yeah, but the the one red mana deal thirteen to all creatures. It has um, blasphemous blasphemous act had yeah. boros reckoner and blasphemous act. So you do thirteen yeah. to every creature and your opponent. Uh, they moved away from that, but in any case, it, it it was this token value engine, and it was not necessarily quite as planted at that time as it is now, but wizards must have looked back and said, well, this was really popular and in, <clears throat> in standard at the time. Uh, people keep trying to make it work in modern. 
Uh, there aren't very many deck archetypes that remain that popular two years after they've left standard, but this one did. Uh, so they gave us that deck back in Allegiance. Yeah, so the other card that was spoiled today that looks like it's a shoe in for that deck is Ministrant of Obligation, which is basically a, a slightly worse uh, Lingering Souls. Two and a white for a 2-1 creature human cleric. Afterlife 2, so you get the two white black spirit creature tokens with flying. And if the other card cards are on the table, then Tessia um, doubles them up. And uh, Alinda gets tokens when stuff dies, and then she produces double the normal tokens if Tessa doesn't play. Yeah, it's the amount of synergy is ridiculous. Um, there, there's like six or seven cards already that are clearly that deck. I don't know. I don't know if it'll be good uh, because the first one kind of worked, I think, because it wasn't necessarily intentional. This one will have been tested. So it's probably it could, it'll probably be good, but I don't know if it's going to be absurd like the first one was because it will have been tuned down if it was. In any case, definitely some traction there. Um, if these have been cleaned out and you've got a few playsets or whatever, go ahead and buy list. If the buy list uh, gets generous because it's trying to restock, um, and because it's not clear that Alenda is a four of in that deck, I suspect she might be a one or a two of because she's a four drop. Maybe she's a four of. Um, I don't think you want to wait and find out. You just want to lean into the hype and and get out if you're holding. Yeah, I mean, there's only so many cards that deck can play, and it really wanted a lot of small, inexpensive creatures that it didn't have to feel bad about losing. So keeping, you know, playing multiple four drops is not what that deck is about. Um, let's let's move on. Uh, Reality Shift out of Fate Reforged foils four to eight for a double up. Uh, I got nothing. That's an Ooh. big EDH, EDH card. Blue decks that don't have uh, Source of Plowshares type effects are more than happy to drop some crappy little token on the table in exchange for getting rid of the biggest threat. I mean, it's certainly decent there. You're expecting that that's... That's really the only place there's any demand for this. It, it didn't show up anywhere else, right? Not that I'm yeah. aware of, no. The, it's just it's actually like a kind of an unsung staple in the format, as I understand it. It registers in 12,000 decks on EDH Rec. Which makes sense. I mean, it is. It's if you don't have easy access to removal, it's good for that. <laughs> oh, sorry. <laughs> What's after that? Um, after the barking comes Morsel Hoarder out of Shadowmore Foils, going from dollar fifty to three dollars. Really, nothing to see there. Um, shows up in some fringe decks, fringe decks here and there. Um, moving on, Baleful Strix Foils out of Eternal Masters, moving from fifty three to hundred and twenty. If you believe that. I suspect that you probably end up getting 70, 80, 90 or something on these. Um, Legacy, again, not moving the needle that often, but this is the only foil version of Baleful Strix because the original was in Plane Shift? Planescape? Whatever the supplemental product was where you roll the dice and switch planes all the time. Um, and so that, that wasn't in foil. Um, and EMA was the only foil version. Took a while for those to drain, but a few years later, um, here we are. I actually snapped off uh, two playsets at about 35 or so in Europe. Um, so I'll be able to report on whether you can sell these through in about a month or so. That was a nice find if you managed to get them for that cheap. Um, mm -hmm. Well, we'll see. I, I, don't, I don't know how deep the demand profile is on this, really. Um, but I'm willing to find out on a couple of playsets. I mean, it's definitely useful in EDH too. It has a play pattern there. It's a very useful utility artifact, and Death Touch is popular in that format. Uh, most cubes want it, um, so there's some additional value beyond just Legacy. 
That's true. There's, it, it's registers in 11,000 decks in EDH rec, so on that basis alone, I guess you could feel relatively confident. You're not really relying on uh, on Legacy after all. And now that I think about it, I run it in Brea, so, and Brea is still one of the top five commanders of all time. So yeah. all of that adds up to pretty reasonable position, especially since the next place you could see this card again would, would be in Commander. Right, yeah. Uh, it got the one foil print here, and now um, it'll show up there again. Uh, in fact, it's already shown up twice in Commander, right? Because it was, I think it was in one Commander product, and then was in the Anthology, right? So technically it showed up twice. Um, it, it's It's been around. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I, I, I would be happy to sell these at, you know, 120, 100, frankly. Um, but, you know, I don't expect this is going to change quickly anytime soon. Yeah, it was Plane Chase, Plane Chase 2012 was the original. Commander 2013... Uh, it was in the Nekasar deck, I want to mm-hmm. say. Um, and then it was in Plane Chase Anthology and Arch, Arc Enemy Nicol Bolas. And then Commander actually had quite a few printings. But again, as we talk about so often, Commander staples rarely get foil printings. Um, yeah. So I, I imagine Japanese foil Baleful Strix is probably a pretty solid targeted. targeted. I mean, if you can find them and you can afford them, sure. So always these little out-of-the-way stores in, in Tokyo that don't really run, like, FNM or anything. Because I, I don't know if you've ever been there, but the place is crammed. Like, Akihabara, these stores are, like, wall-to-wall product. And so a lot of them don't have any play space. And, but they do... That tends to be, like, where the gold mines are. I was there, yes. I financed my trip to Japan by visiting all those stores. They were great. <laughs> so you know uh, what I'm talking about. Yes. I don't think that that's an out that's available to most of our listeners, but I agree if you're wandering around Akibara, uh, most card shops will have several staples that you can snag that you'll be very happy with the outcome. Well, the, the, it would be a pretty interesting experiment for somebody to do some ver- a, a new twist on the whole like uh, trading up into a Lotus thing. Where instead of that, you do you take like whatever the most expensive card you own is. Let's say you have a Bizarre Baghdad stashed away or something. Sell it. Go to Japan. Buy a bunch of stuff. Come back and see if you can get it. Make your money back. And get the trip, trip for free. Why did you sell the Bizarre Baghdad? To finance the trip up front. Oh, I guess if you don't already have it. Uh, you can also, also just throw it on your credit card. But for, you're saying like, you know, not everybody can afford afford to throw it on the credit card but you right. might have a card sitting around that could finance the trip and kickstart the whole adventure which would in my humble opinion be super worth your while because <laughs> hunting collectibles in, in akihabara is like if you're a serious nerd you should do that at least once in your life uh yeah i i wonder who would have uh one of those car a, a card worth that much money fl- lying around but couldn't afford to put three grand on their credit card but i suppose that's another another story the, the, the same hundreds and hundreds of people that are selling on craigslist facebook kijiji etc every weekend selling off those type of cards or collections or whatever saying that they got car bills to pay uh, i suppose so uh i guess the reason we're here is magic players are not always the smartest with their funds um i have no doubt for what it's worth that you could if you if you traveled economically that you could probably make enough money visiting the shops that you could cover the cost of your trip. Uh, really, the, the trick would be uh, it wouldn't be worth your hourly rate for sure um, at all. And like, yeah, you're... It, it'd be fun, but you'd spend a lot of time in card stores, which I got to tell you, I did it for I was there for 10 days and I did it 
I didn't spend the whole trip doing it, but I did it a fair bit and it did start to get old. Uh, and then all the work was selling them when you get back. Uh, it's, it's a time investment, but I mean, it's an out, you know, if you, if you really know your stuff, but you don't have, you know, you're not making a lot of money in your day job, or maybe you have some time, maybe you're a student and you've got two weeks to kill. Uh, you could do worse, I think for sure. And it'd be fun. Or, or you, or, or you can afford it, but you want to finance some portion of the trip and feel good about it while you're having some fun. In investigating your hobby. Oh yeah, like I mean, you could, you're going to you be could... over there anyways. You should absolutely take the chance to run in because that's worth it. Yeah, I mean, you even if you're covering like forty percent of your trip or whatever, some portion, you could feel good about that, and your spouse would be impressed. The because um, the thing is like, I, I, yeah, you can. It's like you said, you can if you book a ten day trip over there, you can spend plan to spend two or three days doing the hunting and whatever, and you can cut that down a lot. If you pre-research locations of stores and plan out routes, make sure you've got a data plan so you can follow maps and whatever, and like set a walking map for yourself, mark down some of the great restaurants to, you know, so you know where you're taking your breaks and whatever, and then um, have your targets ready. Like go in there knowing what are the 20 or 30 commander staples that the Japanese market completely undervalues and or that have recently spiked um, in North America and make that your target set so you're not you know tripping like spending a lot of time heads down in your phone looking things up if you just have a printout with like your target acquisition prices you'll be able to buzz in and out of shops much faster the last time i was there i was mostly on the toy side of things <laughs> so i bought like six thousand dollars worth of transformers and shipped them home which was way more expensive than if you do that on the magic side where you can just carry it with you on the plane um, and the margins were still really excellent, but, uh, I'm definitely foaming a little at the mouth to give it another shot on the magic side next time I'm over there. Yeah, I, it would be fun. And it would also be fun to do it possibly with someone who, boy, this is a tough sentence, uh, just sitting right behind me. It, it, your spending time in those shops is probably more tolerable if you go with somebody who's more likely to enjoy that type of behavior than your spouse and isn't waiting yes. on you. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, so that's a part of it. And you definitely, I also definitely got a feel for very quickly what was worth. Like you'd go to one or two stores, and you know the first ones I went to, I had to stop and look. And then by the time you get to like the fifth or sixth, you're like, okay, I've noticed everyone selling like Sliver Hive Lords and Abyssins for way cheaper. And like that's, those are what I'm looking for. Uh, and I could go right in and try and find them. Yeah. So I'm sure, I'm sure you're familiar with the concept of man spreading, you know, guys taking up too much room in public places and like benches or bus seats or whatever, where they like throw their bag on the seat beside them and take a wide stance with their legs or whatever. Man spreading to me. There you go. And yeah, so I the, the only thing worse than man spreading is doing it in Tokyo where you don't just have a book bag. You have I, I was I was going to Mandarake, that giant collectible superstore and getting them to give me their like Mandarake custom cardboard boxes that are like super thick and carrying two or three of those home at a time they were so big they didn't fit in in bags and i literally had to like make trips through the subway system where i would like carry a couple of the boxes then go back for the other ones and you could reliably do that because no one will steal your stuff there but once i got onto the subway people were giving me the death stare like how like inconsiderate could you possibly be to be rush hour in tokyo carrying like nine cubic feet worth of product 
<laughs> yeah, yeah, it was uh, it was tense, dense. I got very comfortable standing in line there. That yeah. was another thing. Yeah. Um, Getting pushed onto subways. The whole thing's just yeah. an experience that everybody should try at least once. Yeah, we had a ton of fun. You know, I uh, I spent a lot of time wandering around, and my wife who didn't really know anything of Japan, had no real interest in Japanese culture. We were just there because we had a friend who lived there and had an opportunity to go visit him. She loved it too. Uh, very accessible for people who aren't, who don't care about magic and nerd stuff anyways. Um, I, I could talk about that trip for a while, but uh, we got an episode to get through. Uh, All right. So uh, let me buzz through a few things here. Thornbite okay. staff, um, foils and non-foils took off along with intruder alarm because of Vanifar, the uh, birthing pod on a uh, on legs um, that is going to m- maybe get there in standard and modern, but definitely get there in EDH, probably one of the most important commanders uh, of the year. Um, so Thornbite staff, non-foils went from, in theory, four to about nine for about 140% plus gain. The foils went from like six to 25. And that was a card that there already there were already uses for in EDH, and there, there weren't that many foils lying around because uh, Lorwyn block... Foils are just hard to come by in general. Um, so seeing mm-hmm. that pop like 200% plus was no big surprise. And I know it was talked about in the dis- in the Discord um, for the Pro Traders. So I know but all of us, you know, that could, um, that had the time and were clued in, in the moment, picked up as, you know, a small handful of foils wherever we could find them. I tried to grab a few in Europe that were reasonably priced, but the inventory wasn't even very deep overseas. So um, I think those will probably sell pretty well. Intruder Alarm has sold well for me this week. I had some foils sitting around that I forgot existed. Um, so just incom- incompetence coming to the forefront that I picked up at 27 and we'll be trying to sell close to 100. And then I even had like an... That's a nice foil to find. Yeah, I moved an MP dented copy that just had look, look, look like a dog tooth had dug into it, but was otherwise pretty pristine to somebody on Twitter for like 50 bucks. Um, so they, they really are moving. Um, and, and and I just want to specify, Intruder Alarm was because of the new Vanifar. Yeah. That's a combo. That's that's a new birthing pod creature. Um, she's slower. She doesn't have she doesn't have haste, so she can't use her as soon as you put birthing pod into play. But if you have intruder alarm in play, and then you get Vanifar into play, Vanifar searches sacrifices another creature. You get a new one because of intruder alarm. It untaps Vanifar, and you can just keep going. Throw a persist creature anywhere in the chain, and now you've got two creatures. Uh, you kind of split your your veins. Uh, winning as an afterthought. Um, Definitely curious. I'm curious to see where that goes in modern. I don't know if it's going to be good enough. I think it's worse than birthing pod when you rip it off the top deck from nothing, but better than birthing pod if intruder alarms in play. So it'll be, you know, I, I, I'm curious to see where that goes, uh, but I'm definitely selling any intruder alarms that I would have uh, simply because we're on the hype right now and maybe the deck's good enough, but I'd rather just sell now and risk the extra 15 or 20%. Yeah, and Intruder Alarm now becomes a target that could be reprinted in in some EDH-focused um, uh, set. Uh, there are other uses for the card in the format anyway. Um, Bant Panorama and Naya Panorama from Shards of Alara. The foils moved from 4 to 12 and 1 to 3, respectively. Um, on the on the topic of Alara's, uh, my Alara learned how to poop in the bathtub tonight. So that'll be a really great card when we get around to the new block uh, set, Shards of, Shards of Alara. Uh, I'm editing that out. <laughs> was was that a good? I don't want to hear Jason that. Alt. Listeners don't want to hear that. Was that a good approximation of Jason Alt humor? I, uh, uh, yeah, I I guess that's a yes. 
I think that it awesome. is. Awesome. Yeah. I nailed it. All right, moving right along. Um, final card of the week, post-mortem lunge, new Phyrexia non-foils, moving from a dollar to $5 for a 400% change. Um, that card is seeing play in a modern deck, uh, the name of which escapes me. Uh, yeah, I mean, it was Grishel brand. I don't know what they're calling it these days, um, if they gave it a new name or not. Uh, but that's the general idea is just push Grissel brand into play and punch people with it. Uh, I'm always a fan of those strategies. Uh, okay. The whole idea is that the, the whole idea with that deck is that the Gorio's vengeance was just reprinted in ultimate masters. So like pieces of the puzzle have gotten cheaper. Um, so people may uh, find reason to play the deck more often. So some of the other things that have not been in print as recently, um, become reasonable targets. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, which is also the reasoning behind one of my picks this week. So we'll get right on into that. Yeah, you, uh, I see you added one from yesterday and our from our attempted recording session. So why don't you're definitely going to need to get us started here because you got plenty to talk about. Well, the one because we were going to record yesterday when there was more of these lying around, I've added another one just so people don't feel like they're getting ripped off. Um, since I think they're going to have trouble finding this, except maybe at your local store. Um, Temple of Malice is the four of black red Scryland that is also played in the Grishel brand deck. Um, and if you can find foils anywhere near $10 at this point, I think you've got a pretty solid shot at getting out of them, uh, north of 20 there. All of the sky lands are played in about a reported 15,000 decks on EDH rec, which probably means there's like a hundred thousand plus people playing them. Um, of which some smaller percentage are in the hunt for foils. And though I think we will see these reprinted for sure, like the sky lands are fair game for standard. Um, they could show up in a Theros part two set, maybe in 2019, maybe in 2020. Um, they could also show up as the rare land slot in any number of different supplemental products, like a battle bond type product. They could be run there. They could show up in uh, a commander style supplemental booster box. Who knows? Um, so I don't think you have a super long horizon on them. I think you want to be out in six to 12 months, possibly. Um, but if you want to play the deck, then go ahead and snap them up, play with them, and then look for your exit and downgrade to the non-foils. Uh, yeah, I'm. you're talking about them possibly getting reprinted, but I don't even know if that's... I mean, that's always a concern, but I don't even know how how much I'd value it simply because there are so many lands backed up in the queue that Wizards could reprint. We still haven't seen the original Scars lands. Uh, I guess we finally got the Czech lands reprinted, right? Um, like the Innistrad yeah, ones, like Woodland Cemetery, we just got those. But there are years worth of rare lands that haven't been reprinted. The Worldwake lands, frankly, were only just reprinted in Ultimate Masters from Worldwake. Uh, <clears throat> so I think grabbing these at nine, ten bucks is great because I, it's just so far away that we might get, see the return, right? Like it could be years and years and years before they get back to these. They're not reprinting these types of lands every three years. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I, I wasn't actually aware that Skylands had penetration that deep in EDH, but they're all actually fair game targets. Like if, if you can't find Malice, I would take a look at Temple of Enlightenment and Temple of Epiphany, the blue, white and uh, blue, red lands, because they occasionally show up uh, in modern decks. And they certainly are shoe-ins for foils for cube and casual and EDH um, at about the same level as Malice, um, since the colors are roughly equally represented in Commander. Yes. Uh, yep. I like that. And it's so generally, and, sorry, go ahead. And a lot of those foils are available more in the five to eight or $9 range as malice was before it was targeted. 
Um, so they don't have as much modern support and they might be a slower burn, but if you race the clock on the reprint, then you're probably in great shape. That's uh, that's good to know. Um, and I like that whenever you have a cycle of cards of this nature and one of them catches your eye, you should always make sure to go check the other ones because you don't know what you might find. Uh, you might get turned on to one and then it's worth exploring the other stuff. So uh, definitely keep that in mind when you're seeing these types of cards in the future. Yep. All right. So my first card this week, uh, <clears throat> I have to clear my throat a little bit. This is, this is going to feel like maybe not a cop out, uh, a little, curious of a call for some of our longer term listeners. Uh, I really like restore balance right now. Um, <laughs> I have a reason for it. I have a reason for it. if you're unfamiliar, I, I'm, I'm the restore balance guy in the finance community. I bought a zillion of them a long time ago. Um, and it's come cl- so tantalizingly close to really breaking out, but isn't quite gotten there. Uh, <clears throat> but I think you've got it. The last one was uh, as foretold was a good a good opportunity for it um but we got another card this time arguably even better than as foretold for the deck uh but i'm not clear on that it's uh oh shoot i had the electro i had it dominance dominance. electro dominance thank you it's red red xx you can cast a spell that costs x or less for free and then you deal x damage but the important thing here is for red red at instant speed, you can cast a card that has no mana cost, like Restore Balance. So it's red, red, instant speed, Restore Balance, um, which is pretty pretty nuts. And now there are several ways that that deck can play Restore Balance without needing the Cascade effect, um, which was always a thorn in its side in the past because you couldn't play any one or two drops. You would just Cascade from three drops. So the format's definitely a little tighter than it used to be, but this is just yet another vector for the card to work. Um, it's still a very powerful effect. Uh, Wizards uh, cannot fathom where they would reprint this card. It's been since Time Spiral we haven't seen anymore, and I don't think they're in a rush to put it out again. Uh, you know, if it broke out in Modern, then maybe Wizards would begrudgingly put it someplace to increase the supply. But until then, I think they're happy to let it be. Uh, if anything, I think they would print a- another balance uh another honorary balance rather than reprint restore balance so they're like five bucks right now for the non-foils they could probably climb up to 10 12 uh maybe even 20 or more if like there's any sh- if, if if somebody posts a list on star city the card will start to get pressured at five if somebody does like top 32s a star city open with this card uh you'll see it be 20 or 25 because it's so old and supply is so generally low that it'll get vacuumed up instantly now again i have a good chunk i think i'm probably in like the 60 ish copies range um it's not like i've kept buying them over the years so i'm not even all that deep frankly but just want to be clear so no one accuses me of trying to pump and dump it i'm I'm in this for the long haul baby Well, I mean, clearly it is on your mind um, because you have it, but your arguments are all still uh, reasonable. It ha- The thing here is that it's single format. It's not an EDH card, so um, and not really a cube card. So it has to get there in modern and probably as a four of it, something that is 5-0-ing leagues online consistently, looks like it might show up, gets on camera at some point, tops eight something, and then you'd really see, to, see it start to accelerate. The fact that is that the inventory on these is already super, super low. So it won't take that much to push them over the edge if it gets there somewhere. 
if it gets there and, sh- and shows up in the f- in modern, you know, semi consistently as even a fringe deck, then maybe it sees a reprint at some point. But I, as you said, I wouldn't think it would be on their radar. The foils are also worth looking at because there's even less of those lying around and you can get them. The mm-hmm. ladder is really steep. You can, they're priced anywhere from between 22 and $50 across 13 listings on TCG player. So if somebody wanted to take a swipe and say one foil playset for under 100 and look to out at over 150 on a hype cycle at some point. You could probably get there in a year or two. But then again, you might end up like Travis and stuck holding this card. Yeah, I want to be clear that I am not, you know, trying to tell you that this is a slam dunk. I've been on mine for years at this point. Uh, so if you want to be in good company, you can hop in. But I make no promises on this bad boy. Uh, but I, and I agree the foil ones look pretty tantalizing. Really, your your best out would be um, it doesn't even have to be amazing. You just need people to think it's going to be good. You just need that like initial hype. Like, oh my God, let's go get Restore Balances because Ari Lax wrote about it, theoretically, a theoretical deck list, and I want to get in on this before uh, before they're all out. And then they get emptied and then you sell them and then you don't have to care whether or not the deck is good. Having them before that event occurs positions you to sell directly into the market. And that's where the speculation comes from. Sure. All right, so my next pick is based on <clears throat> something I already had on my list a couple of weeks ago um, with the Amulet Titan decks coming back into play for modern um, and based on what happened with KCI this weekend, um, where uh, Matt Nass made, I think, his third or fourth top eight at a GP with that deck, um, and four of the top eight decks at GP Oakland in the modern main event were uh, KCI decks, um, people were calling, uh, uh, as Sig claimed, that it, there would be a 99% certainty of it being banned. Um, I put that certainty significantly lower. I think it's more like 40 to 60%. Um, I think they hate that deck being on camera. It's still They still have the issue of what card specifically to ban. Um, arguments can be made that Mox Opal is really the problem, but that it shows up in a lot of decks and would anger quite a few players. If they went after that, you could ban KCI itself, although that card is not particularly pro- problematic. Um to split the difference, I put some of mine up for sale on Twitter last night and buy listed the rest and with significant profits. And I'm happy to just, you know, take a big step back, claim the rest of the profit on the copies I have remaining, and then not take any risk in terms of what's going to happen with the banned and restricted announcements. Um, but the reason that's important is because uh, there has been some chatter that one of the decks that might come even further into the spotlight if KCI disappears is Amulet Titan. Um, which runs four copies of Azusa Lost But Seeking, last seen in M25. Um, and the Judge Foils is what I'm looking at. They use the same art but have the Judge Foiling process. Um, they were relatively plentiful not so long ago, like maybe a year ago. Now they're starting to dry up. You can get in at around 35. I would target getting in and out at about 50 for, say, a 40% plus gain. Um, and the nice thing about this one is it is multi-format. So Azusa is a four of in the Amulet Titan decks. Um, and Amulet of Vigor decks have have themselves survived uh, a banning of key pieces of their puzzle um, uh, at an earlier point. But it also shows up in 7,000 EDH decks, um, where she's also very useful. So uh, the combination of those two makes me think that the Judge Foils are going to drain the rest of the way. Um, could even end up being a 60 or $70 card. There's also M25 foils to look at, like I said, with the same art. And I think they're probably, they're, they're a little deeper in terms of inventory level. Um, but also look pretty good in the mid to long term because I wouldn't expect we'll see a, a reprint of this fairly specific card, at least in foil, for another few years. 
Yeah, especially on the back of Masters 25, I don't see Wizards being in a rush to put this back in the play. It's quite a it's quite a card, um, has a dynamic effect on wherever it's going to show up. So it's certainly going to they can't just throw it anywhere out like they could with other cards. Um, I didn't realize that Judge Foil was as low as 35. That's pretty tempting. This card has always held a pretty hefty price tag. It's hard to get it for too cheap um just because the demand is so high i think there's a lot of pent-up demand for azusa you know some cards the price is very high because the supply is very low and then when you put more copies into the market the price collapses uh imperial recruiter um is one or uh, what was the white one loyal retainers whereas azusa feels like it's the other way where you have a lot of pent-up demand from players who want this because it's pop, it's going to be very good in, in decks, especially that would be popular with kitchen table players, but none of them will buy it because it's like 20 and $30, and then a new one comes out, and maybe the price slips like 18 and then people start getting in again because they want them. Um, so I think they could probably print this at least one more time and keep the price pretty solid. Uh, so in any case, the judge copies at 35 does seem does seem tempting. The master's foil copies could also be solid too. Um, but, but I definitely like Azusa. Uh, I heard the, you know, did the Azusa list play Lotus Bloom or is that a different list? Uh, the team that I'm talking about ran no Lotus Blooms. I think that was a different deck at that tournament, but that entire team, this is actually a weird open. Usually team opens are a little awkward to talk about in terms of an analyzing deck construction, because in previous iterations they have shared card pools where they couldn't have duplicate cards Mm -hmm. Um, this time they released that restriction so you had entire teams sometimes running the same deck so for instance this team that finished third um daryl Ayers, matthew dilks and edgar magahales um all ran amulet titan um in a in a fairly classic build um another team just below them ran two versions of is it phoenix and one of band spirits the winning team ran band spirits hollow one and ironworks for instance um, but yeah, I, I did hear that there was a Lotus Bloom, uh, innovation that was floating around at that tournament. Yeah. Supposedly I just saw on Twitter that that one was performing a little bit better, but I don't know how meaningful that is. Uh, and ultimately it doesn't really matter for Azusa anyways, uh, because a lot of that card demand comes from EDH. The modern would just be the, a sudden catalyst rather than a consistent push. Uh, but I like it. I like Azusa. I don't actually own one. I want one. <laughs> I need one. So maybe this is a good excuse for me to. Go grab a couple. Yep, sounds good. All right, so what was your final pick? All right, so this is this is rare for me, right? You have to respect oh, it. Oh, sta- a standard a standard pre order. Yeah, Brilliant. this is this is rare. But I remember uh, the aristocrats days, and while I don't play standard these much often, it's been a while. Uh, I recognize the utility of cards like this. Gutter Bones is currently, I think, about a dollar fifty. I think uh, he's two dollars on Star City, so you should be able to find him for pro- hopefully a dollar fifty elsewhere. Gutter Bones is one black mana for a two-one. He enters the battlefield tapped, just like many cards of this nature have before. And for two mana, you can return him to your graveyard. Uh, you can only do it your, do it your on your turn, and only if an opponent lost life this turn. Now, here's why I think this card matters: is you get for one mana, you get a two-one. It does not matter that he enters the battlefield tap whatsoever. You are never going to block with this creature. You're going to use him to score damage in the early turns, and you're going to eat him for value in the later turns. Um, Also, the Aristocrats deck is going to have life gain, so the fact that he can't block or he blocks slowly is also not going to matter. But you can play... The fact that you can sacrifice this guy, 
you can you can put them in the play early, trigger your uh, spectacle. Then later on in the game, you can probably sacrifice him once if they establish blockers. You can sacrifice him to a ping effect to trigger spectacle. Then pay two to return him to your hand, and then play him again and sack him to another effect. And if it's late enough in the game, you might even be able to loop this once or twice. So I think he's just going to be a really good component for that type of deck because there's so many sacrifice outlets that generate tokens and do that type of stuff and a creature that they can keep getting back. I mean, this is almost, this is like drawing a, tra- uh, a um, doomed traveler for like three mana, like just pay three mana, draw a doomed traveler. That's awesome for that deck. He's also going to be good. If there's like a Racto spectacle deck or a red, black aggro deck, this type of card is useful because he's going to allow that it's his virtual card advantage is just pay mana. There's like an invisible emblem that just says pay mana, draw a card. And it's a one mana two one, which is totally fine if you're the, if you're the deck that's looking for that effect. So I think he is very well positioned. Pre-orders are $1.50. Like I said, two bucks on Star City. You might be able to find him for $1.50 elsewhere. I can't make any promises for you, on, for you guys here, but everything I know about standard magic, he's as good as I've seen a rare be in pre-order season. Um, so if... if I'd start watching those lists closely, see what the pros are writing about. And if you're seeing him show up in the lists, you might want to start looking for copies because if you can get your hands on a bunch of these early and then we see like an early weekend aristocrats build, he's and he's in it, you're going to see prices upwards of five, six, seven dollars. Maybe. The, yeah. I, I can buy most of that, but I think that generally speaking, we can agree that in a situation like this where new decks are emerging in standard you really want to be taking a closer look at the rares and mythics from last year's sets that are getting their last hurrah, where people might not have them easily on hand and the dealer inventories might not be that deep. And you can potentially, you know, snag a dollar card from last year that's suddenly four or five bucks where the buy list will net you 250 or three or something. Um, my concern with gutter bones is I think the set will be pretty popular. I think people will be into this standard. I think it's going to shape up well. Um, and I think a lot of these are going to hit the market and it's going to be tough for this to hit seven, like for a rare standard rare at mythic. Sure. But as a standard rare these days, you really need to be a multi-deck staple, like something like a tireless tracker or something that is in two or three different builds in the same format. Um, if this ends up in just the aristocrats deck and it's still an if whether that deck is top tier if it doesn't spill off into other decks i think you're going to have trouble seeing this over three or four dollars and then the buy list is i don't know a buck 52 bucks and maybe you get there i'm interested to track this one as a as a case study i think that I think you can you can see rares and standard over five bucks as a single deck target. It just has to be a four of, and it has to be a tier one deck. Like the the I guess one of the other components for the old aristocrats deck was there wasn't a lot of rares in it. I don't think it had a lot of commons and uncommons. So the rare that like there's a falcon wrath aristocrat that was in it was was valuable because there you didn't have to spread your money around elsewhere. I don't know if it's quite as distributed, if it's distributed that way this time around. Um, I, I agree it's a stretch. I, I'm not going to tell you otherwise. But and I also agree that there's other better targets. I mean, we've talked about that before, right? That like really there's like one or two cards that you should just could theoretically just funnel all of your money into because they look like they always have they're going to have the best returns and everything else is just irrelevant. You know, we kind of go through this stuff for for people's edification. Uh so yeah, it's 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 a stretch. You're you're gonna have to get a little lucky if you do buy in on it. 
Um, I do think some of the standard cards can do better than they used to. Uh, it's a new Ravnica might drive some more players to standard. So let me throw it at you like this. Tessa Karlov mm-hmm. is also a rare. Same set. Mm-hmm. Which one do you feel more confident is going to be a four of in that deck? Gutter Bones. I, I mean, on the con- on the converted monocost scale, the lower it is, like it's like exponentially sure. more likely to play more of them, which is what's so attractive about this. If it was two mana for a two, three or a three, two, I wouldn't talk about it. It's the fact that it's one mana because those cards are so much more important to the deck than everything else. And it's also not legendary. Hmm. All right. Um, moving right along, I have two more left. Um, Panharmonicon foils. This is like at least the third time we've mentioned these, and this has got to be your last chance at greatness here. Um, we sure would sure we like were... to think that, wouldn't we? <laughs> well, this was always going to get there, and it was always going to be a mid to long term hold because it's an EDH specific card that never had any legs in standard and isn't played in modern. So that formula definitely mean, usually means about a two year hold. Um, and I wasn't in super early on this, um, maybe a year ago. So a, a midtermish hold, not the greatest of, of results, but still quite excellent when all is said and done, because I think I was picking up Japanese foils at like six or something and English foils in the four to six range at one point. Um, they were high initially, then got cheaper as the format wore on and people were cracking packs consistently. Um, and now you can get like the, the ramp is very steep now on Panharmonicon foils. It's not going to take much for the $14 copies to bleed out and turn into $25 copies. And it is in 15,000 EDH decks and rising already. And it only came out a few years ago. Um, and it's only going to go keep going and keep going. And I this is a shoe-in card, I think, for the non-foil to show up in a commander deck. Um, and then push off a foil reprint that much longer. Mm-hmm. Um easily see this show up as a five or ten dollar card that anchor is one of the top five cards anchoring a fall commander uh deck printing so all of that leads me to believe that foreign foils japanese korean russian are going to do very well i've got some russian foils stashed away that i'm pretty excited about um and the japanese foils i think i got eight maybe um that i'm holding and then i've bought all the way up the ramp i'm gonna buy a few more at 14 not a lot um want to keep my average closer to under 10 on these but um, I'm happy to mop up a few more and, and nudge it in the right direction. And I'm very confident that by the end of 2019, you're going to have your out in the $25 to $30 range or buy listing back um, over $20. Well, I mean, I certainly don't feel like I need to to say too much here. I'm totally in agreement. I've You and I have both liked this card for a long time. Uh, I mean, really, it was I saw the spoiler on Twitter. I was like, oh, I have to go buy those. Uh, I, I think it's it was well positioned the first time we talked about it. It's well positioned today. I, I don't see that changing. So uh, now it's getting it got to be getting close to your last chance. I'll, I'll admit that it's it's cheaper today than I thought it would be at this point, but it's still a good card to have. Yeah, and you know, like Card Kingdom is currently offering. Let me just see on foils. You can already get. Like six fifty in credit for them. I wouldn't bother with any of that. Abu is like fourteen, which in realistic terms is more like eleven. That's not that's not terrible, but hold out for this one. This one's gonna get there. I would give this another six months to marinate. You're gonna do just fine. Um, final pick of the week is Birthing Pod, which we alluded to earlier when we were talking about Vanifar. Vanifar is gonna run Birthing Pod because you can't always keep your commander out. You still want to be fooling around with your various creature chains. And Birthing Pod uh, blew my mind. I can't 
I, for some reason, I thought this was banned in Commander, but it's not. So go ahead and snag some birthing pods because it being banned in Modern means it's not going to get reprinted outside of a Commander product. Um, I don't see that being a high priority either. So getting in on birthing pods around 10 or so and looking to get out 18, 20, 22 or something and say a year, I think would be very, very good. And foils can go from 35 to 50 very easily. There's very few of those lying around as well. It's not banned in EDH. It's just the players who would play this in EDH, you should ban from your play group. <laughs> to be to be perfectly I mean, I, I would never want, if someone played this, I'd be like, oh, okay, I'm going to go do something else. Like, it's miserable the amount of tutoring and shuffling this, this requires. But that doesn't mean people won't do it. Demonic Tutor is still very popular. So uh, as much as I dislike it, we'll certainly still see play. Um, and I agree with you that as long as Vanifar has any sort of popularity, uh, this will be right behind uh, because that's the very, you know, Vanifar is the first card you put in your deck. This is the second. All right. So out of this uh, cadre of picks, we've got seven, uh, six total. Which one is your top pick for the week? Restore balance. Of course. Okay. <laughs> How could it be anything else? No. Uh, mm, hmm, uh, On a one year, one year horizon, let's say. Uh, it might be a Zusa, but I, I don't know. I, I, I'm really not sure. Not, every now, some weeks we have one that really stands out. I'm like, oh, this was a good one. But tonight they all feel r- relatively close. There's none that jump out at me this week. What about you? I'm debating. I, I think Azusa is going to get there, but probably because like say it goes 35 to 50, that's like 40% plus. I think if you can track down the Temple of Malice foils locally or at a small store online that nobody's found yet, um, that's probably your easiest double up. I think Panharmonicon and Birthing Pot are closely behind. Um, if got, if you're right about Gutter Bones, it's the biggest returns, but it, it's, it's got the highest risk profile, I think. Um, yes, restore, yeah. restore balance is like a huge roll of the dice where I'm not... If you don't own any yet and you have like the risky portion of your portfolio, it should never be more than about 10 or 15% of your total holdings. Go ahead and pick up some restore balances, like f- four or eight copies or whatever. You will eventually get there. <laughs> like the, He's right. Like, Travis is right. The, the, the balance effect is powerful enough that sooner or later, it, it should get there in modern, um, assuming they don't replace modern before it does. <laughs> mm-hmm. That would be a bummer. <laughs> which, I get, which I guess is is a little bit of a risk. All right, so moving on to metagame week in review, because we cast ended up casting a day later, we have uh, way more results to go through. Um, I think blue-white control won GP Oakland last night, beating out three copies in a row of KCI, if I'm not oh, mistaken. Oh, okay. I mean, maybe I didn't watch it, but I believe it. Like, GP Oakland had four of the top eight decks uh were Car Clan Ironworks decks. There was a blue white control. I think there was a blue red is it Phoenix list. Um and let me just pull it up. See if there was anything it else was, spicy in there. Uh, is it Phoenix KCI, Blue White Control, KCI, Valicate, Hardened Modular, KCI, KCI. Uh yeah. Yeah, hardened scales affinity. Burn decks in the eight through sixteen Two more phoenixes, three more phoenixes, a dust shadow, a living end. Living end, we haven't seen much of. This this was actually the Titan list that was a little different than the ones at the Star City game. This was still running the four primeval titans that I called as foil pickups a few weeks back, um, but they were running two Relica Progenitus main uh, that we talked about off cast. Uh, 
we're currently in a phase of modern where graveyard hate is at a premium, so main decking it apparently is good enough. Um, KCI could be on the chopping block. Um, over on the Star City Tour, as I said, the top team was Bant Spirit's Hollow One Ironworks. Um, and then second team was Grix's Death Shadow Ironworks Is It Phoenix. Then there was Triple Amulet Titan, and then the fourth place team was Amulet was Is It Phoenix, Is It Phoenix, Bant Spirits. So nothing too uh, exciting there. Um, all the usual suspects, a lot of brokenness going on in the format lately. Yeah, I want to chime in real quick. I don't think KCI is going anywhere. Um, I'm not saying it's going getting it's going unscathed forever. But I think it's too early for them to do it now. Uh, Would you feel differently if it had won last night? No, I wouldn't. I think that it's... We know the deck is good. But f- from a data standpoint, like you had... It it was seeing success in the hands of Matt Nass but, and was around but not dominating, right? Um, other than that, and this was kind of like a big weekend for it. I think, right? Like, I, mean, I could be remembering wrong, but my my sense is that this is the first weekend where KCI really did a lot outside of the hands of like Matt Nass and and maybe one or two other people. Well, my my concern is I think Maria Bartoldi was uh, on coverage last night and was bragging about the fact that she had called that KCI was going to top eight pretty much every modern GP of the year, and I think she it, she was right. Um, and I really think that Wizards will be looking for the opportunity here just to ban it on the basis of it being bad for coverage. I think that looking at the stats, they recognize that there are other decks that are just as good. Um, They just don't like to put this one on camera. And so the question then becomes, is there a a card they can ban from the deck that doesn't uh, impact too many other um, decks? I... I give it a 50 50. I, th- I think that a, a key piece of this deck could get banned. It could just be could just be KCI, even though the card itself is is not the busted component of the deck. But KCI being banned probably puts that deck out of commission without harming anybody else. And that could just be what comes up at the next BNR. Um, the if it does if it if it does, it actually opens up an interesting opportunity longer term because uh, KCI is still a valid EDH card. Um reported in like 7,000 decks on EDH rec or whatever. So if the market crashes on those and copies that are floating around, you know, flood buy lists or whatever, and the buy list price comes way down and the, and the retail price comes down, could be a buying opportunity for some of the foils again, if they drop real fast. Yeah, possibly. I, I guess I, I don't disagree with any of the points. It is bad for coverage. It's not the type of thing wizards really wants to talk about or put on camera. Um, it's kind of boring for most people involved. My thought, and I'm not saying it's going to even make it out of this year, I just don't expect it to be this time. It's still relatively new. They We haven't given the format a lot of time to adjust for it. Um, remember, I'm, I'm thinking back to Death Shadow. People were flipping out. That needed to be banned, blah, blah, blah. Uh, and then we waited a couple months, and it became a component of the metagame, but it didn't run it. Um, it wasn't like it was at the start when people were calling for that to get banned, too. So... It's not that I think ACI will survive forever. I just think it's a little too early. Wizards might be like, let's just let it go one cycle. We'll see how it will see if the format can get it under wraps. And if it's still doing this, it doesn't have to get better. If it's still doing what it did this weekend, a couple weeks out, 
maybe would they catch it on the next one? I just think we're a little too early, but this is a cue for Wizards to ban it and then write in their ban announcement that everyone should have seen it coming because they love to make <laughs> me look like an idiot. Um, do, do, are you holding any? No, I sold all of mine a while ago. If you were holding today, would you be selling? Yeah, but I'd be selling even if I didn't think it, even if I thought it was guaranteed not to get banned just because the hype train's rolling. Okay, fair enough. So uh, modern, in good shape, might be in better shape if KCI is gone. We'll see how that goes. Um, other topic of the week, we're going to dive in a little on the most recent Ravnica Allegiant spoilers. Uh, is there anything that has caught your eye as of late? Well, there was, uh, wait, what was his name? Gutter Bones. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you mentioned that one. Uh, um, I, I, I was looking at Spawn of Mayhem, um, but I don't, a lot, when I've looked at, if you read Chaz's article over on Star City Games this week, um, he went through most of the mythics. And the problem with the current price points on all of them is it's just they're pricing success in on a whole bunch of mediocre mythics that probably aren't going to get there. Yeah. So I don't see a ton of opportunity. Spawn of Mayhem at 6 or $7 probably would have piqued my interest because it looks like a very powerful card that could easily post up as a 4 of for a while in standard. It's a 4-4 four, four flying trampler that you get for 3 mana if you've if the opponent has lost life this turn, which is not hard to do. Oh, and then once it's in play, at the beginning of your upkeep, it deals 1 damage to everybody, which sets off the other spectacle triggers in your deck. And then if you have 10 life or less, you also put a plus one plus one counter on spawn of mayhem. He keeps getting bigger and bigger once the game gets more advanced. So that reminds me a lot of desecration demon back in the day. And I could see him following a similar path, except desecration demon was a rare. And this is a myth. Mm -hmm. um, problem is he's currently $17. So unless he goes multi-deck in the format, he's going to have trouble pushing 30. Yeah, that's that's tough. I do think the card is very cool uh, and clearly powerful, but I share your concerns and your your thought that they essentially have priced success in. I mean, they learned their lesson. It took them several sets to learn their lesson, uh, but eventually they learned it, that you just start the Mythics kind of high and then you slowly walk them back. Um, because if you price a Mythic too low, you are suddenly on the hook to sell a hundred of them for a third of its price. Uh, the one card emergency powers is amusing. That actually seems quite good to me. Um, especially since if you do it in your main phase, you just reset your hand and then put some big honking threat in the play that will take control of the board right away. I did see the amusing um, comment that you can run this with that white enchantment that makes it, you get a treasure token every time your opponent Sm draws a card. Smothering Tithe. Yeah. That, that's got to be one of the key cards long-term for EDH, right? Like that's probably on the level of anointed procession. Uh, yeah, that does seem quite good if you're a white deck. I, you know, I'm not positive I would run it in all of my decks, but that's good. That's a good card for EDH in general. Uh, but it, what's amusing is you can play this in standard. Uh, and then later on, when you cast your emergency powers and draw seven, your opponent drew seven. They didn't pay two for any of them. You got to make seven treasure tokens. So your emergency powers was free, uh, which is a curious, a curious setup. Um, <laughs> so, so that might even so get a this. combo deck more than a control back. So get this. I have a smothering type stealth pick that I can't share because if I do the only three copies <laughs> available in North America of the related card will be gone. 
It's that mm-hmm. rare. And it's actually so rare, I had never, I did not know it existed till last night. But once I've bought those three copies, um, I will go ahead and share that pick next week just so people can become aware of what could be a thing down the road. Well, I can't wait until you tell me off cast and we buy every copy we find. And then here's the thing. I erase this part from the cast and then it looks like we're geniuses. (laughs) You know, I would normally do that for everybody or at least for you if there was a really small quantity. But they're they're really I can't find more than the three I want to (laughs) buy. So I'm going to buy them then tell you. Okay, I'll accept it. The um, so the other one that, that jumps out at me as interesting is for EDH longer term is the green blue guy that they revealed on the gen second biomancer's familiar this is the two two mutant for green and a blue um that basically is has training grounds so as vanavar mm-hmm. is basically birthing pod this guy is training grounds that potentially turns on a like saffron olive brew for um against the odds for modern um, because anytime you have an effect that isn't quite getting there in modern if you have eight copies of it instead of four that could make a janky deck a little less janky um he also interacts with adapt abilities. So if we get more adapt um, cards that are uh, desirable in EDH, it could, could be a thing. Um, but just the ability to basically uh, make activated abilities on creatures cost two less is is going to be an open-ended synergy that will make friends with new EDH cards for years to come. Well, you know, I this is going to sound really weird, especially coming from the Restore Balance guy, but I think that that deck will be nothing more than a pile of misery anyways. Um, having played many of those types of decks in the past, it's going from four training grounds eight would help, but I don't think it would make it matter. Um, now that's not to say that there aren't financial upsides. It could push training grounds up to twenty five or thirty dollars or whatever weird mythic that is also part of that deck could get expensive. So it's not that it, it won't do that, especially if you see someone like Saffron do a video of it. Uh, but I don't think the deck would ever be meaningful for what it's worth yeah the i guess one of my like overall takes on this set and i guess we'll be doing a set review the next couple weeks here hopefully trying to get a lure a pro on to talk to us about it um is that this set strikes me as one of these ones where most of the edh action is in the rares not the mythics um and they are aimed at specific decks as opposed to being like broadly played colors. Um, for instance, Rakdos, the showstopper mythic, he's probably worth playing in Kali uh, of the Vast as a demon that comes in hasty and kills half the stuff on the board, um, but not any of your stuff. Um, except that he tar- if you're playing a bunch of angels, he has a chance of killing them. So maybe not. <laughs> Depends how you build the deck. Mm-hmm. Um, if it's heavy on the demon side, it probably works out. But is that going to be enough to make me chase foil Russian versions? Eh. Probably not. Um, Wilderness Reclamation is at a rare. I would have been after Russian Foils. That's the enchantment. Three and a green at the beginning of your end step. Untap all lands you control. That's absolutely an epic EDH card. But they printed it at an uncommon. Well, it's it's funny you bring this up because I was staring at that card waiting for you to stop talking so I could talk about it. Yeah, it's a fascinating card for sure. Uh, Amusing little story. I had somebody in a video game uh, bet me in-game currency that this card will be banned in standard within six months. Uh, he is that kind. He's like, could this? He's like, what do you say? This thing with, I think it was Nexus Fate, or basically any control deck seemed yeah. like insane to him. He's like, there's no way this will still be legal in standard. And I'm like, so did you start playing Magic last week? And apparently he's been playing for a couple of years, so I'm going to enjoy 
that currency he gives me. Um, but I, but the, huh. the card is definitely going to be legit in EDH. I don't doubt, doubt it there. And frankly, I mean, I think your Russian foil play is totally fine on this because even as an uncommon, those are still going to be ultra rare. Good time as any to remind people that Russian boxes are no longer nearly as available in North America as they were three years ago because the, the uh, stores that buy through the Wizards Play Network can no longer add them to their orders. So all the Russian booster boxes from Dominaria on, I've noticed, have been very hard to come by on eBay and they've never been cheap. Whereas before that period, I was getting like Russian boxes of Kaladesh for 90 bucks minus 15% off coupon and just like cleaning house. Like those boxes that came with like Russian Panharmonicons, sometimes a masterpiece, and then a bunch of like Spire Bluff Canals and Blossoming Marshes, those are like free money. The, all of those boxes were free. Hmm. That's cool. Um, so I think like in Russian boxes, even at like 110 for some of the better sets, like say a Dominaria or whatever, longer term, are, are looking pretty tasty, um, especially if they, we get a standard set that has masterpieces in it again at some point. Um, Nexus of Fate was one of my calls just last week or the week before at, let's see, what cast was that? Was it 149 or 148? It was 148, called it at $12, so two weeks ago to get to 20 Boom, lowest copy based on the hype around uh, the Reclamation. That card is now up to $23 on TCG. So mm-hmm. you're welcome. <laughs> That's a two-week double up. That's not bad. Uh, if, for what it's worth, if they ban anything, they're banning Nexus of Fate. They're not banning Wilderness Reclamation. Yeah, um, I think I think that's probably correct as well. Easier uh, to ban the card nobody can buy anywhere. <laughs> yeah, and that will, will be out of the format in six months. Um, uh, and th- there was a shot at Nexus of Fate Russian Foils uh, south of 20, not so long ago. It was maybe like four weeks ago. You could still pick them up. Um, I don't know if there's any left on eBay, but that would be something to look at as well because long-term for EDH, this is still a card. Yeah. Yeah, I did catch uh, End Race Forerunners is the 8-mana 7-7. Seven, 8-mana seven. Seven, seven, Vigilance, Trample, Haste. So it comes down the play, swings with Trample and Vigilance immediately. Um, and when it enters the battlefield, oh, you got a new listing or new offer. When it enters the battlefield, other creatures you control get 2-2 two, two and Vigilance. Um, this card should look familiar to uh players who played during the first innistrad uh because it's clearly a callback to creator of behemoth which was an 8855 he gave all your creatures uh trample and xx where x was the number of creatures you control so he made them very big and powerful and raised forerunners only makes them a little bit bigger and powerful uh but better stats kind of um creator of behemoth was a took a major turn in price at one point when people realized how absurd that card was. I don't think that's going to happen this time, uh, especially because it's rare, but I did want to draw your attention to it, that it's, it's a very similar card. I think, I think Domri chaos bringer, the five loyalty, four mana green, red dude could probably get there in standard. I'm not sure how many copies you're running, but at four, instead of five mana, if he's good in the deck, he's in, he could be a three or a four of, um, mesmerizing benthid looks like it might slip under the radar i'm not sure what current prices are but that's the four or five octopus for three and two blue that has hex proof as long as you control an illusion and when it comes into play it makes two zero two blue illusions um that that say whenever this creature blocks a creature the other creature doesn't untap until its controller's next untap step that's a lot of utility in standard that's a fascinating card my major concern is that if you just leave him alone he's only a four or five like you can take your time 
look for your opportunities to remove the illusions and then kill the Benthead at your discretion. But he's not really a big deal in the meantime. Um, well, and you know, like if you play this against a Domri, like, okay, well, my Domri is going to slam creatures in the play and punch you. And if you don't block them with your illusions, like their creatures will be big enough to kill Benthead and you can block them with their illusions. And so they won't untap, but the illusions will die. So I don't know. I'm not saying it's impossible, but it just looks like Benthead itself doesn't present enough of a threat that I, I'm that worried about leaving it on the table for three or four turns. Yeah. And the question is, is there some kind of control shell that wants to use this as part of its like puzzle pieces? The, 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 the other considerations are it doesn't block the four, four or bigger black flyer trample guy. Cause they're all non-flying. Um, uh, we today we just got unveiled Kaya's Wrath, which is uh, four mana Wrath, double white, double black for a sorcery that says destroy all creatures. You gain life equal to the number of creatures you control that were destroyed this way. So in the afterlife deck, that card is bonkers. Clear the board, get rid of all your guys, generate a whole bunch of tokens, and you're in the driver's seat. Going to be tough to drop four or five non-flying blue guys against that card. Yes. Yep, that Kaya's Wrath is going to be uh, definitely, if not financially relevant, at least relevant for the one deck that can cast it. I, I do like Domri for what it's worth. He goes to six loyalty on a plus. Um, I guess, well, I guess you're not activating his plus a turn you play him, though, most likely. Uh, because you paid four and then you get one back. He's a little awkward in that regard, I guess, now that I stop and look at him, because you play him on... F- if you play them on four, you can't really use the plus one. I mean, you can, you can add them on and cast a spell with it, but like you can't get the value out of it. So if you're going to use them on the turn, you cast him, you might want a minus three, but now he's a two loyalty. Kind of an, a little odd how they did that. A little clunky. So we'll do a, fu- but, a fuller review in, in yeah. the coming weeks, but I, I do, I do have one final comment on this set. Mm-hmm. Can we use the set to finally retire the notion that this is a children's game? The Rakdos theming is S&M Circus. Has been for a while too, right? Well, yeah, but this is like, this is like leather clad, sexy chicks on tight ropes, lighting people on fire and cut and flaying their skin. This is not aimed at children. (laughs) That argument's been false for ages. And can we now like use this as a basis for if you were marketing this to children, none of this art would look like this. This is marketed at young adults and adults. I mean, really, <laughs> this game isn't a, is a, this game is a game for adults. So let's stop using that as the excuse for why this should this game should not have a financial component. If you want to go, if you want to make this argument, I, I don't even think you need to point to the to the PG dominatrixes they're putting on the Rakdos cards. Have you seen Bar- Bankrupt in Blood? That is yeah. that is some grim <laughs> art. <laughs> Yeah, grim and gorgeous. There, there are actually. I, I will say this for this set: there are some truly stunning pieces of art that I would hang on the wall. Yeah, from from this set. I and, and I, I wouldn't say that normally of just random fantasy art, but Bankrupt in Blood is fine art. Like that is a gorgeous piece of art. That is that is yeah, that's something. It's it's evocative in a way that a lot of these other cards aren't. Uh, I I actually don't really like the art in this set across the board for the most part. Um, but my are you fond of are you fond of Ravnica themes in general? I think the setting, the landscapes of Ravnica are all great. Um, but my takes on magic are are far too spicy for this cast. Uh, all right. Fair enough. Uh, yeah, I'm just scrolling through here. Some, some, some interesting cards in here for sure. 
But uh, yeah, yeah, we'll have to do right. the, the full, the full spoiler, the full spoiler with uh, some we get used back. Huh. He was cool. All right, so that's a wrap for this week's folks. Where can people find you online, Travis? Uh, I am on Twitter at wizardbumpin b u m p i n. I write every Monday at MTG Price. Uh, I do the Watchtower series. Uh, how about yourself? You guys can find me as usual on Twitter at MTG Critic, as well as via my occasional articles on mtgprice.com. And I am also haunting the. Uh, MTG Price Disc Pro Trader Discord pretty much every day, almost all the time. So you can reach me in there as well if you, if you don't feel like uh, setting up a Twitter account. Um, I'd also like to remind our listeners to check out the MTGPrice.com Pro Trader service for just $4.99 a month or $49.99 per year. You can get early access to this podcast, fantastic articles by the best MTG finance minds in the business, and a sweet set of online collection management and buy list tools that will drive better returns and save you money playing Magic the Gathering. All right. Well, that brings us to the episode of 150. I thought it was a another great one, and I'm looking forward to doing it again next week. Thank you, Travis. And we'll see you all next week on another episode of MTG Fast Finance. Mm-hmm.